Praise God. It's good to see everybody this morning. Listen, if you're a guest of ours, we, we're so glad that you came and joined us, and we'd love to connect with you. You can get with somebody out at the welcome desk, just like she said there on the screen a minute ago, if you'd like to connect with us. And, uh, you know, man, I just, I really love being at church. Anybody, amen, I just like it. Like, I, there was a time when I, you know, when I, there you go, yeah, you can get, I tell you what, Shauna is my hype woman, amen? And by the way, she's pregnant. Now, I, I, I've got a real. I've got to quit doing that, you all. Shauna, the problem is you come, you, you you get so active over there that you come to my mind. So, but I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Amen to me. If everybody be like Shauna, we would have a real party in here on Sunday mornings. Amen. But uh, but yeah, I really like coming to church, and I I got this thing for Jesus, you know, and His presence and His people. But one of the things that I love about this church, you know, I get I get messages from people a lot, and I was texting a guy. Uh, this week, and, and, and I, I'm just getting to know him. I don't really know him that well. He just started at our church here recently, and he, he ended up saying this to me, and I get messages like this specifically a lot of times, and here's what he said. He said, City, he said to be honest, City of Hope has been such a blessing to me and my wife and our kids. We have searched for a church that we feel welcome at, and he said, I have to say your team does a great job. I like that. He didn't say, Clay, you do a great job. He said, your team, that's the best compliment that I can get as a pastor, that my team does a great job. He said, even our kids love church now. And I, just, I believe, man, that we have an amazing team right here at City of Hope Church, don't we? Amen. That's what makes, that's what makes this body awesome is that one, Jesus is at the center, but two, we've all come together in agreement. we got different backgrounds. Some of us, we believe differently about certain things. But at the end of the day, we put Jesus at the center, and we say, you know what? He's what we're after. He's the goal, and we're going to work together as a team so that people can know Him. Amen. And that's what we're here for, and, that's, and, and we're so glad to be here. But, man, I'm thankful for my team, from the people that work over in Kids Church. We got, some, we got some people that work in Kids Church that are amazing. I mean, they bring, like, balloon animals and stuff. You got Kaylee and Drucy over there. They be doing all kinds of crazy stuff whenever they have Kids Church. And, but people just go the extra mile, and I'm just thankful for everybody that serves. Let me, let, me, let me mention one other thing to you. We got Mother's Day coming up next Sunday, actually. And so we're looking forward to that. But we've got muffins with moms at 9.30 next Sunday. So if you want to come a little bit early, you can come in here at 9.30 over in the cafeteria. We'll have some muffins with our mommies. And there'll be some treats for the kids, maybe even a game or two. Uh, but be sure and be here next week at 9.30 a little bit early uh, for, for breakfast with us. And then another thing I want to mention before we get in the message today is, is next steps. We're starting step one today, and we've got a, a handful of people that have signed up. But next steps is really just four classes uh, that, that let you know more about our church, how to get connected, and, and really where, where are you at with the Lord, and what is the next step that God would have you take in your relationship with Him. And it's four classes, but it happens the first and third Sunday of every month. So it's a two-month process, but it's about four hours. Each class is going to be about an hour. It's going to be at 1 p.m p.m. today over in the other building over here in the conference room. If you just show up at 1 p.m., you go get something to eat. Just sign up and let us know that you want to come. And if you've got kids, I've got child care for today taken care of. So one hour from about 1 to 2, unless you get real talkative and ask me a bunch of questions. And then it'll go a little bit over. But, but we just want to connect with you, and we just want to get you involved. So if you're interested, be sure and sign up and let us know and uh, show up at 1 o'clock. Amen. Amen. You guys ready for the word? Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 4. And if you'll remember, we've been talking about, we've been in a, a sermon series that Jeremy kicked off about four weeks ago called Law and Love. 
And you remember Jeremy talked about just essentially what is the law of God? Why did God give us the law? And ultimately how that law takes us on this journey like little children to where we can fully receive the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The law has a purpose. We've been unlocking that. We talked about Peter whenever he failed and how he had a law mentality that somehow he was going to be able to lay down his life for Christ. But in the end, Jesus showed him, look, son, it ain't about you and your strength and your own ability and your own effort. Without me, you can do nothing. I'm the one who has laid down my life for you. And he extended that love to him when he restored him. And last week we talked about the woman that was caught in adultery and how the law of God brought her to a place of desperation, of utter hopelessness, where she realized that she was deserving of death. But the law also did another thing that it was supposed to do. It brought her to the very feet of Jesus and she looked in the eyes of love and he restored her and said neither do I condemn you go and sin no more and this week I want to talk about a man that was diseased with probably the most most loathsome and horrible disease in the world at that time and he was a leper and so in Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 through 4 here's what it says it says in his speaking of Jesus when he had come down from the mountain Great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray just for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord God, I just thank you for every individual that's, that, that's here and privileged, God, to be able to hear your word today. And we ask that your spirit would come. And Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive. You would open our ears to hear. And Lord God, you would allow us to receive what you are speaking to us this morning, God, so that we could be transformed by your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you like hand sanitizer a whole lot? Like, it's a big thing right now, isn't it? Like, raise your hand if you like it. Just go ahead and be honest. Let's say straight up, you love hand sanitizer. Do you know that hand sanitizer was a very popular thing before COVID even hit? Like, I can, rem- I can remember whenever, whenever I used to teach school at OBI, them kids, we had buckets of hand sanitizer everywhere, and hand sanitizer would be dripping all over the floor because these kids just loved that hand sanitizer. And if I'm being straight up honest, when you get touched by a lot of young people, you know, handshakes here and there, and people running around snotting all over the place. It's like hand sanitizer is a wonderful thing because what it does is it gives you this shot of emotional stability. Amen. It just, it just like helps you out mentally. It, you know, we got stuff since COVID started too. I mean, we talk about being contagious. I mean, and some of y'all, you're just germaphobes, aren't you? It's like you're freaking out all the time. And, and you, were, you, were, you were bad before something like COVID happened. But after that happened, it was just like shut everything down. And that's, of course, what we did. And we locked it down and put a mask on it. And, and we're using hand sanitizer. I mean, literally, we got stuff. We got juice over here pumping that is supposed to disinfect the air that you breathe. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't even know if it works. It probably doesn't. But when, but when I'm looking at it, and I look at the, at, at the mist like uh, under the lights, I'm thinking, you know what? Nobody's getting sick. Praise God. Um, you know, and, and what it does is it gives you just this a little, a little bit of emotional stability you feel good about. It. It's like, you know, Logan comes out out there, and he shakes my hand this morning, and after I sh- shake it, you know what? I'm thinking, oh, man, I just touched his hand, you know. What are we going to do? But gladly, I reach over, squirt, 
It's like I just put the armor of God on, y'all. I can take on the world now. I mean, you got that hand everywhere you go. It's like you, you, I, I, I flew this week. I went down to Florida and I flew back. And you're on a plane cramped in with people this close. And of course, you got to wear a mask the whole time. But it's like, you know what? Oh, my gosh, we're packed, surrounded with people. But that one squirt, boom, healed. And, you know, some people will say something like, some people will say something like, well, you know, hand sanitizer, that, that'll, that'll mess you up in the long run because, because you, you break down your antibodies and, and you'll actually become more susceptible to sickness and disease. I'm like, you know what, I ain't trying to hear that kind of negativity. I trust in the hand sanitizer. I believe in the hand sanitizer. It has the power to keep me whole. Amen. All right. Now, let's, I hope y'all don't really believe that way. I mean, my Lord. It's a good thing we've got it gets you a squirt, praise God. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, my faith's in a little something a little bit higher at the end of the day. But, yeah, these things work. We got them for a purpose. But the reason I say that is because, really, our, our mentality right now is a lot like the mentality of the Jewish people in ancient times when it came to leprosy. I cannot begin to tell you how it made them feel emotionally, religiously, culturally. Leprosy for them, I mean, they thought about how contagious it was. They would not get near a leper. Like, I told y'all the story about when this thing first came out, and I was walking into Walmart, and I actually went, I, 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 I committed a great sin. I went against the direction of the arrows in an aisle. Amen. I went up the aisle, and a woman was turning the direction of the arrows, and she saw me, and she backed out. And I thought, boys, I just became a leper right here. Like, this, this is what the lepers were going through uh, in, in the Old Testament. This is what they were dealing with because, because people despised them. Matter of fact, they saw leprosy as a curse from God, that these people had committed some kind of a sin, and this was the reason that they were infected all throughout their body. And if, you don't, if you're not aware of what leprosy is, it's a skin disease that literally eats you alive. Your skin begins to fall off. It eats the meat. Many people who would have leprosy for years would end up losing their limbs. Their arms would end up being eaten off. They'd have to amputate their arms. They'd have to amputate their legs. Their, uh, their nose would be missing. Uh, their lips would fall off. Their ears would be gone. It was a skin disease that was loathsome. I mean, it, it would ravage your body. It was a horrible disease. And they actually had laws in place for them. In Leviticus 13 and 14, they had laws because we're talking about the law, right? Well, see, they had laws that go far beyond what, the kind of laws that we have. They had, like we said, they had dietary laws, but they had laws specifically in place for the disease of leprosy. And here's what would happen. If somebody contracted leprosy, the priest, they would go into the priest. It'd be like y'all coming into me and I would inspect you. I'm glad I wasn't a pastor back then. Amen, right? They would inspect you and determine whether or not you had leprosy and it was spreading. And if so, here's what would happen look at Leviticus 13 34 or 45 and 46 I love it anytime I can preach from Leviticus amen now the leper on whom the sore is his clothes shall be torn and his head bare in other words you need to make it noticeable that you're a leper and he shall cover his mustache I like that because really what they're saying you can look at it in different translations I just like the new King James version because it says mustache right so everybody say mustache I just wanted you to say mustache but it said, it says, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache. In other words, he's saying, you need to put a face mask on because you're contagious. And you need to cover that up. And you need to cry, unclean, unclean. So if a leper came in the distance of anybody near, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean. 
In order to say, hey, don't come near us. We're sick over here, man. You don't want to touch us. You don't want to be near us. We're unclean. And it was a law for them. Can you imagine it being legal for you? Like if you don't cry out unclean and let everybody know that you're dirty and you're filthy, you would be put to death by stoning. Hey, man, that would be rough, wouldn't it? And they cry out unclean, unclean. And verse 46 says, he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. I mean, how many times can you say it? And he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And for all intents and purposes, when somebody contracted leprosy, they were still alive, but they were dead. They were cut off from society, completely rejected, could not come to church, could not be with their family, could not spend any time in social interaction with people, could not even worship God the way that God prescribed it. They were cursed, they were cut off from, from society, and they were rejected. Now, why is this important? It's important because it begins to frame for us everything that's going on. I read you four verses in Matthew chapter 8, and if you just read that at face value, it's like, okay, a dude was sick, Jesus healed him, big whoop. But if we look a little bit deeper into the text, we know that there is a lot more going on in these four little verses that I read because Matthew even gives you some specific details. He gives us some geographical details. In Matthew 8, 1, the very first sentence is it says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now this is interesting because if it says something, I want to know why it's in there. I want to know why it says when he had come down from the mountain. What mountain was he on? What did he do? Well, if I go back three chapters earlier to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. That means for five, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, those three chapters, Jesus is on a mountain and he is teaching up on this mountain and the question is, is why? why? Why is he on a mountain? One, I want to say this. Mountains in the Bible are very important. I don't know if you realize that or not. You got Abraham, when he took Isaac, where did he take him? He took him up on Mount Moriah. When Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, where was he at? He was on Mount Carmel. And when Moses received the Ten Commandments, where was he at? He was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus, we see him on this mountain, and he's preaching literally the best sermon that has ever been preached in the history of time, the Sermon on the Mount. And while he's up there preaching this sermon, probably the greatest sermon, like I said, that's ever been preached. And here's the thing. Maybe you don't know what was preached in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to get into all of it. We're going to touch a little bit of it. But it's shaped the world's morality. Amen. We, we know like the, the golden rule comes from it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen. We get things like that from the Sermon on the Mount. And most scholars believe that while Jesus was on this mountain, he probably taught for two to three days. We're going to do that one day, right? I'm going to come in here. We're going to be like two, three days just teaching and see how many of y'all stay. Amen. I, 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 Justin Braby, only one. Yeah. He'll still be here three days later. So they're up there probably two to three days teaching. And while he's on the mountain, I want you to understand, Jesus is actually, he's giving some of his laws. He's quoting some of the Old Testament law while he's doing it. Now, for a Jewish listener... To sit on a mountain and listen to Jesus quote the law, they would have immediately been going back and thinking about Moses and they would have been thinking about Moses whenever he received the law, the Ten Commandments. Because when, when they received the law, folks, that meant that they were Israel was married to God in the covenant of marriage whenever the law was given. It was, the, it was a very important thing for them. 
The law was the covenant that they had with God. And so they would have thought about Mount Sinai where Moses was receiving that. Now, last week we read this verse, and the Bible makes it very clear that there are two different covenants. And that's why in John 1.17, John makes this statement. He says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you see this comparison, this differentiation between Moses and the law on Mount Sinai, and then Jesus in the new covenant. And he says, The law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you see this differentiation there. Now, if we talk about this, let me, let, let's give you a little back up on the law because we've talked about it for, for three weeks now. But you've got to understand, when God dealt with the people of Israel, if you actually read the Bible in the book of Exodus, when they come out, man, they're still, they ain't got it together. They're sinning, they're complaining, they're messed up, but nobody dies until the law is given. Matter of fact, they would complain and say, Lord, we ain't got nothing to eat. He'd feed them. They complain, say, Lord, we don't have anything to drink. And he'd cause water to come out of a rock. And no matter how many times they complained or what evil they did, he never punished them. He simply extended grace to them until God starts to talk to Moses. And Moses deals with the people. And Moses is like, listen, y'all, God needs a relationship with y'all. He wants to talk to you. He wants to deal with you. And all of the people speak to Moses in Exodus 19. And they say, hey... You go talk to God, and whatever God tells us to do, we'll do it. In other words, they're saying, we don't want a relationship with God. We're afraid of Him. Moses, we want you to go talk to Him, and He'll tell us what to do, and we'll do it. They're presuming on their own ability to do what God says. They have a law mindset. And God recognizes this out of the gate. He says, you know what? Here's the thing. If they think they're actually good enough to do what I, my holy standard then I have got to break them, essentially. I've got to bring them to the end of themselves. They need to recognize that they need me. They need a relationship with me. They need me to save them. They need me to help them. And right now, they think they are strong enough in their own efforts to do and live up to my holy standards. And so he says, all right, Moses, if that's what they want, come up to this mountain. And all of a sudden, a thick cloud descended upon the mountain, a dark cloud. There was a barricade set up around the mountain, and it says that if anybody was to break through on that barricade, that they would be put to death for even touching the mountain because there was this distance between God. And a lot of people, we've talked about it, they still feel this distance between God, don't they? So many people, especially in southeastern Kentucky, they still have an old covenant mindset. They still believe, and we say it all the time, if we come into the church, the walls are going to fall in on us. Old covenant mindset. The old covenant says, hey, don't come near to God lest you die. The new covenant says Jesus Christ has died on your behalf so that you can come near to God in your sin and He will transform your life. It's a totally different way of looking at things. That's why we call to sinners and we call to those in bondage and we call to those struggling and we say, hey, don't get it together before you come in. You need to come to Jesus now as you are and Jesus will love you and Jesus will receive you and Jesus will heal you and He will restore you. Yeah, but what if it takes time? Jesus will persevere with you. Amen. Amen. This is the new covenant. It's a new and a living way. But they go up on the mountain. There's a barricade. Nobody can go up but Moses. And God, see, He gives the law on top of that mountain to Moses. Moses gets the Ten Commandments. And I want you to understand something. I don't think Moses fully understood this. But I know that God fully understood this. God did not give you the law in the beginning because He thought you could keep it. He did it to bring you to the end of yourself so that you would realize that you cannot keep it. That you need a heart transformation. That you need something beyond yourself to change your life. 
And what religion is at the end of the day is you pulling it up by your bootstraps, trying to do more, be better, work harder, and failing over and over and over again until you come into a state of desperation. Either that or self-righteousness. And you say, look at me, look at what I've done. And what we've got in the church, especially in a a religious area in the Bible Belt like us, is we've got a bunch of self-righteous religious people who have done pretty good on the outside, and therefore they look down their nose at other people. Somebody amen me this morning. Praise the Lord. So he's up on the mountain 40 days, and, and here's what we would do, right? I mean, just imagine... Pastor Clay, he goes up on the mountain 40 days. Y'all are hanging out in the church 40 days just waiting on me to come back. I mean, what they do is they say, you know what, boys? Moses has been up there a long time, and I could have thought of a million different things to do while I was waiting. i got to be honest with you. It's like, boys, pull out the chessboard. I, I something. But they say, you know what we need to do? Everybody bring their gold in here, and let's make a cow to worship. I'm thinking, what in the world? These guys are messed up. So they make a golden calf. They begin to bow down and worship it. Aaron says, these be your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. They begin to worship idols and it says they begin to dance and party and and get wild down there at the bottom of the mountain. And Moses comes down off of the mountain while they're partying. And in Exodus 32, 19 and 20, it says this. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel to drink it. Now I love this because you got to see Moses on his mountain. He gets up to the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down. They're going buck wild. And when he gets to the bottom, it would be the equivalent of me taking my Bible and and coming in here and reading it to you and then just tearing the pages out of it and saying, y'all ain't going to do it no way. Moses takes the tablets, he shatters them on the ground, and then he walks over, and I love this. This is the kind of attitude I'd be in if I was down there doing that. You know what I'm talking about? He takes the golden calf, he grinds it up into a powder, puts it in water, and forces them to drink their own punishment. He said, you're going to drink this ground up thing. And they sit there and drink it as a symbol of their own sin. He's making them drink the cup of their own iniquity. Moses comes down his mountain with the law and he is enraged. And he calls the Levites to himself and 3,000 are killed that day. He says, if you're on our side, come over here. If you ain't on our side, go over there. And 3,000 are killed that day. Do you know that in the New Testament, Paul actually talks about this and he calls the law the ministry of death because when it was given... 3,000 people died. And he basically says now in the, on the day of Pentecost in the New Covenant, the law wasn't given, but the Spirit was given. And what happened on the day of Pentecost in the New Covenant when the Spirit was given? 3,000 were saved. This is why he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then he goes on to say, see guys, we are not ministers of the old covenant. We don't get a little bit of Bible knowledge and go around judging everybody and condemning everybody and trying to bring death upon everybody. He says we are ministers of righteousness, of a new covenant, of the Spirit of God. And what we do is we proclaim that Jesus Christ has died on your behalf. And now if you will repent and turn to Him, you can receive the Spirit of life and be transformed and have forgiveness. You don't have to die anymore because of your sins because Jesus has died for you. We're ministers of a new covenant. But how many of y'all, you know, you get a little bit of Bible knowledge. You come down off the mountain enraged at the sin of the people around you. My Lord, I'm taking to Facebook. 
Because, I mean, if you're going to change the world, that's where you're going to do that. Amen, Facebook. Not quite. But we get that same spirit that comes in us, man, that old covenant spirit. We even get people that preach the gospel. They feel like they just got to be the angriest people in the world. Moses comes down angry. But see, when you see Jesus coming down off of his mountain, he does not come down enraged. He does not come down angry. He comes down with what? Love and compassion. But I need you to understand that on that mountain, he didn't gloss over the law. He didn't gloss over the fact that they had broken it. But he comes with a very different attitude. And here's what I need you to understand that the Old Testament, when we read it, it can be very tricky if we don't understand the New Testament. We never throw it out. It has a a very important purpose. The law, the Old Testament, has an important purpose, but you got to keep this in mind. The, The Old Testament is the story of how we get to Jesus. It is not a pattern for ministry. Amen. It means I don't go to the Old Testament looking for a pattern... For, of ministry and how I should treat people. I don't call fire down out of heaven anymore. You remember when Jesus corrected them? They said, boys, it's a good idea. Elijah called fire down out of heaven. They're disobeying God. Let's call fire down out of heaven. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're of the spirit of the old covenant. We're moving into a new day. We don't call fire down on people anymore because Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but he came to save men's lives. And he's giving them a new heart and a different mindset. And so if we compare, let me just put these slides up really quickly. If we compare Moses with Jesus, the old with the new covenant, here's what we look at. In the old covenant, God demands righteousness from man. He says, look, you got to produce. But in the new covenant, God imputes righteousness through the finished work of Christ. That means you are not righteous based on what you do. You're righteous based on your faith in the one who did everything right. Amen. Secondly, God in the old covenant will visit your sins to the third and fourth generation. That means if you're, you sin, He's going to curse your son and his sons and their sons and their sons down to the third and fourth generation. But in Christ, God will forgive your sins and remember them no more. Amen. In the old covenant, you're blessed if you keep the commandments perfectly. And if you break them, you're cursed. But in the new covenant, you're blessed based on what Jesus has done and He has fulfilled the law for me and He has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Look, I've been disobedient, folks. I deserve the curse. But guess what? Jesus didn't deserve the curse and He took the curse for me. He says, now you can walk in the blessing because of that. Fourthly, what we do in the old covenant is we rely on ourselves to change our outward behavior. i got to change me. i got to do better. i got to try harder. But in the new covenant... We rely on Jesus and He changes us, just like that song says this morning, from the inside out. Five, in the old covenant, we had to offer the blood of animals and that blood of animals would cover sins for one year and it had to be repeated every year. But in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus removes all sins of believers forever. And then lastly, in the old covenant, they had no intimate relationship with God because sin put distance between us and God. But in the new covenant, we can have intimacy because the blood has made us clean and righteous. And now God lives us in, a, in us and He does not live in a building. So do you see now the reason they call it the Old Testament and the New Testament? is because when Jesus came, there was a break. There was a transformation. And we went from the Old Covenant to the New. We went from the law to grace and truth. But this does not mean that the law does not have a purpose. But even the prophets, they understood that ultimately the law was coming to an end. Jeremiah prophesied. He said, look, the days are coming. He said, when I'm going to institute a new covenant, and and I'm going to bring this new covenant... 
And in this new covenant, my Lord, my voice, pray for it. <clears throat> yeah, give me a drink of that water. Praise God. It's, pro it's all that sauce we pump out into the air. Amen? <laughs> it dries me out. Praise you. I didn't praise her. Praise the Lord. It's getting weird. <clears throat> Lord, help me. He said, but the new covenant is going to come. And he says, I'm going to do away with the old because you weren't able to keep it at Sinai. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to put my law in your hearts and in your minds. And you're all going to know me and have a relationship with me from the least of you to the greatest of you. And I'm going to forgive your sins and remember them no more. So he's saying he's pointing to a day when a greater covenant is coming. And see, Jesus shows up 1,500 years later after the law is given. And he comes down his mountain. Moses came down his mountain and he was enraged. Now Jesus comes down his mountain and he is full of compassion. And instead of breaking things and making people drink their own punishment, he's putting things back together and he's drinking the punishment that we deserved. He's switching things. He's turning things around. But he, before we go on, see, I've got to address the Sermon on the Mount because it doesn't make sense what Jesus does at the bottom of the mountain unless you understand what he actually said on the mountain. Now, he goes on and he says, look, I don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he starts quoting the Old Testament law. And now here's probably one of the worst ones, right? I want to get into this. In Matthew 5, 21, he quotes the Old Testament. Well, this isn't the worst one. I'll get to the worst one, but look, we'll cover this one, sir. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Amen. It's like, man, would woke Jesus say that? I mean, he's talking about hell and everything. So he's saying it's not just murder. That is the thing. He says, I'm trying to push back through that. I'm trying to get to your heart. It's not an issue of what you do outwardly. It's an issue of what you do inwardly. And if you're hating your brother or sister, or you're angry at them without a cause, you've already got murder in your heart. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, this is heavy. What are you trying to do to me? I thought I was doing good by not killing anybody. And he said, no, it's a little bit deeper than that, Clay. And then he goes on, and this is where it gets really hard on us. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. What's he quoting? One of the Ten Commandments that Moses gave. He said, you remember Moses? He said, y'all shouldn't commit adultery. Remember? Here's what I'm going to say to you. I tell you that he who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. My Lord. I remember reading that as a young man. You know what that does to you? How many of y'all you ever not look lustfully at anybody? I'll give you a minute. I'll take a drink. You know, lying is a sin too. <laughs> then he goes on, he pushes it. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Don't pluck your eye out, folks. I mean, It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
And I read that and I think, Lord, what's going on? I remember studying this passage and I remember reading some commentators and they were saying, look, the reason Jesus gets so upset and he uses such strong language here is because when you objectify another human being and all they are is they become body parts for your own pleasure, you dehumanize them, you dehumanize the image of God and you dehumanize yourself. And what you do is you undermine the love of God that could operate between you and this other person, but instead you just make them out to be an object. And he hates that, and he will not tolerate it. And he says it's not just about the issue of you committing adultery. It's about what's going on with your eyes, what's going on in your heart. He says if you're lusting after other people. See, it's one thing to look at somebody and say, man, that's an attractive person. And you deal with it, you move on. It's another thing to sit and linger and begin to objectify them and begin to make them the object of your lustful thoughts and passions and all of these things. And he says when you do that, what you don't understand is in your heart you are an adulterer. And you're thinking, my Lord, that's heavy though, Clay. Woke Jesus would not say that. He certainly wouldn't bring up hell. Like he's telling people that they're going to go to hell over this stuff. This is heavy. And then it doesn't get any better because then he starts to talk about divorce. He says, if you actually divorce your wife, you make her an adulterer. And if you marry somebody that's been divorced, you commit adultery. I'm thinking, my Lord, this is too much, Jesus. How can we keep this? He goes on. Even a little bit further. And he says, hey, listen, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Basically, if you, if you get punched in the face, you know what? You get to punch them back. They pluck your eye out, you pluck their eye out. He says, but I say to you, do not resist evil. And if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn to them the other. I'm like, man, this is heavy. He, he just keeps going deep. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you and bless those that curse you. And then he ends it with this verse in verse 48. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can you imagine that? What if I just came in here this morning and preached you a message and said, all right, guys, got a good word for you from God. You got to be perfect this week. All right, we'll see you next week. How many of y'all going, you're going to be like, what in the world? How are we going to do this? How can we be perfect? How can we maintain this standard? One scholar actually said, you cannot underestimate the inability to actually, actually do the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you can't. Now, now, let me say this because does that mean that Jesus doesn't want us to live that way? No, he does want us to live that way. But see, he understands that they're currently living under the law and they think they're doing pretty good. So he comes with grace and truth. And it's not that he's abolishing the law. No, he intensifies the law. He says it's not just about adultery. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's about what, it, what you're dealing with on the inside. It's not just about your actions. It's about your thoughts. It's not just about you staying married to your wife. It's about you loving your wife. It's not just about you not stealing. It's about you becoming a generous person. I'm trying to do something on the inside of you. I'm not interested in your external obedience to some laws. I want a heart transformation. And so he's dealing with this and it is no wonder. See, this is a reality check. He's using the law to do what we've been saying the law does the whole time. The law is a mirror to expose you for what you are. You are a broken sinner in need of a Savior. You're filthy. You are unclean. You should go around shouting, unclean. Amen. Without Jesus. And he comes down this mountain. And it's no coincidence that when he gets there, I want you to understand this. I, I believe he does this on purpose. 
He gets done preaching this. He says, hey guys, be perfect. Now let's go on a field trip. And he goes down the mountain. And the Bible says he had a pretty good following at the beginning when he came up the mountain. But it says when he came down, like there were, now there were multitudes. There were thousands that he had gathered. That are, there are, imagine thousands following him down this mountain. And he's purposefully leading them off this mountain. He says, be perfect, follow me. And then he comes down to the mountain. And at the foot of the mountain is what? There's a leper. And not just that, what is the leper doing? He's breaking the law. He's not supposed to be there. He didn't even shout one word of unclean, unclean. For all we know, we, he ain't even got his mustache covered. Like, can you, can, you, and can you imagine coming up to this guy and Jesus being like, hey, hey, man, you didn't shout unclean. You ain't got your mustache covered. You need to go to the priest. You need to get some stuff done here. No, he doesn't do that. He comes down to the bottom. He looks at this man. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Matter of fact, he ends up doing something crazy he touches him. Now here's the thing. In the same book, in Matthew, in the same chapter, matter of fact, Jesus didn't have to touch him, did he? Because Jesus actually heals a man by, by sending forth his word at a distance. He, did, he could have stepped back and said, I can't touch you, bro. It's the law. They're watching me. I Be healed. But you got to understand, this man has not been touched in years. Do you know that psychologically that can damage you. They can make you go insane. Doctors say that without physical touch... I, I read a study not long ago of, of babies, children, that, that were left and abandoned and nobody could take care of them and many of the babies that had no tactile physical involvement, within six months they were dead. They, just, they, they can't live without physical touch. And, and so this man's not been touched in years and can you imagine Jesus reaching out finally Everybody's watching. Everybody takes a step back and gasps because not only is he breaking the law, but now Jesus is breaking the law because what happens is, is if a man touches a leper, not only is the leper unclean, but if you touch a leper, you become unclean. But for the first time in human history, the law is reversed. And here's what I want you to understand. You could say, but see, isn't Jesus actually breaking the law there by touching him? No, he's not breaking the law. He fulfilled the law. He reverses what the power of the law failed to do. The law could not heal you, therefore He kept it and reached out and touched you and cleansed you and gave you new life. He reaches out and He touches this leper. And let's read it one more time in verse 2, chapter 8. And behold, a leper came and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, if you are willing. And I love that because He doesn't say, Lord, if it be your will, you can heal me. He says, if you are willing, you can cleanse me, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. That word, I am willing, thalo in the Greek, it literally means it is my will. It is my deepest desire. I want you to be clean. And some of us, we come to Jesus all the time and it's like, man, Jesus, I just don't know if you're willing or not. I don't know if you want me to be healed. I don't know if you want me to be set free. I don't know if you want me to experience salvation based on what I've done. I don't know if you're willing. And Jesus is saying to you right now, I am willing. I'm willing. It's not a question of that. And you know, here's the thing. The guy doesn't even say, Lord, can you heal me? He knows he can. And do you know that Jewish people, they believe specifically that the Messiah could do two things, actually a few things, but two specific that nobody else could do. That would be raise the dead and heal a leper. Only God could heal a leper. But Jesus went around doing God-like things because he was, in fact, God. And he reaches out and he touches this leper 
And all of a sudden he brings a reversal to this. And here's what Jesus is saying to all of these people. He's saying, you see this leper? On the outside externally, this leper is eaten up with a loathsome, contagious, and horrible disease that is destroying his entire life and eating him alive. But on the inside, what I just preached should have revealed to you that on the inside, you have a loathsome, horrible, contagious disease that is eating you alive from the inside out, and it is called sin. Leprosy was the living symbol of sin, and he's saying, just what you see this man at is the reason I just preached and intensified the law to you because I'm trying to bring you to this point of desperation where you realize how much you need me. You know how many people come to church week after week after week and they go through the motions and they lift their hands, but at the end of the day, you don't really think you need Jesus. Jesus is an addition to the fact that you're already a pretty good person and you come in here and you offer your good works to Jesus. You know, Jesus, you remember I helped that old lady across the street this week? I bought somebody groceries. I mean, I'm a pretty good dude, Jesus. I appreciate you dying, though. Help me out. Appreciate that. No, he's saying, I need you to understand that the law has a purpose. It does a work, and the work that it does is it brings us to an utter state of desperation where we say, we cannot do this. I cannot live this life. And here's the problem with our world today, folks. we got so many people that what they want and what they're actually preaching is that Jesus affirms you in your sin. God forbid. Jesus will never affirm us in our sin, whether it be sexual or whatever else. Every single one of us, we need healing. I don't care if you're a heterosexual addicted to porn or you're a homosexual that has multiple relationships with different people. We are all sexually broken and in need of healing. And He doesn't reject any of us. He says all can come, but all must repent and all must receive healing. He doesn't hate anyone More or less, He doesn't put one sin above the other. But at the end of the day, He says, regardless of what your sin may be, y'all are all messed up and broken and you got a disease. And everybody's got to come to the feet and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This leper finally realized it. He said, you know what? Forget this. This is my one shot. Otherwise, I'm cut off from my family forever. I'm as good as a dead man. There's no point in me even going on living. I'm taking a shot. I'm breaking the law. I'm thrusting myself down at his feet. And I'm saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He was willing to break the law to get the healing that he needed. He was completely desperate. And I'm telling you, man, one of the things that I've been praying is, Lord, would you make us that desperate? As a people, would you help us to realize? And here's the thing. We've all got these little things. I mean, you can read through that Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus doesn't preach those words to condemn people. He doesn't preach those words so that if you're you're a divorced person, you feel unworthy. He preaches those words because he has to, like we said, just because we break the law doesn't give us a right to relax the law, does it? He wants us to have healthy marriages, y'all. If you've messed up, guess what? There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace. If you've been in sexual sin, look, He wants you to stay pure. His desire is for you to stay pure and to marry that person because He wants you to have maximum enjoyment and pleasure in the covenant of marriage. But if you failed, He doesn't reject you. He just needs you to come like the leper did and say, Lord, if you're willing, I see it now. You can make me clean. And I can live differently. That's all he's saying. He's not here to condemn anybody. He's here to save everybody. 
He's here to save everybody. But He will never relax the holy standard of God. But He will use it to bring you to a place where you say, Jesus, I need you. Would you save my soul? I'm broken. And it doesn't mean that that leper got up and lived a perfect life from there on out. But it does mean this, the leper lived a new life. He felt cleansed. He felt new. His relationships were restored. Everything was changed. See, the law demands something that you can never keep. And I could get up here all day and preach on be better, do better, try harder, and y'all would go out and fail. But if I say to you, you need to come to a place of desperation. You need to come and you need to pray to Jesus. And you need to say, Lord, I need you. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you change my heart? He will change you and you will be better. You will be. He makes us better. Man, I tried so hard making myself better. And all it did was lead me to a place where I said, God, I can't do this. And when I did that, I met Jesus. Do you know that Jesus, he didn't heal everybody that came. He didn't heal everybody, I should say. But he did heal everybody that came to him. And the question is, are we actually coming to Jesus? Are we coming to church or are we coming to Jesus? Because the reason we come here is because we want him. The reason we gather together is so that we can corporately say, Jesus, you're the object of our worship. The one thing we want, the one thing that we need is you. We are that leper. The last verse, Matthew 8, verse 4. It says, And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, what Jesus understood was that the priest was the only one that could ultimately say this was okay. And Jesus didn't want him to go on breaking the law. So he said, go. The priest will look you over. He'll tell you that you're clean. And you're going to have a new life now. You're going to be restored. You're going to be healed. You can be restored to your family. And man, that's what Jesus wants for all of us. Amen. I want you to bow your head where you're at this morning. And listen, I want you to understand as you're sitting there, just meditating, that it is a good thing when the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, when the Holy Spirit comes to shine a light on things in our heart. Because do you know that the greatest reward that God could give us is that He makes us more like Jesus. That He makes us more like Him. And He offers us this gift. He says that if you confess your sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I just sense that there's people in here this morning that you need cleansing from that unrighteousness. And maybe you've not chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe you've not felt that draw of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But maybe this morning you feel that draw and you want to respond. And if that's you, you say, I want to respond this morning. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Him. Would you just, as an act of faith, raise your hand right where you're at right now? Just lift up a hand. I see one hand. Anybody else? Just right now, you say, I need to respond to the Lord just for that. Amen. Now, for the rest of us, I think it would be a good thing just for us to say, Lord, I want you to create a desperation in me like that leper. Lord, I thank you that you've cleansed me from your sins. Let's pray that right now. Lord, I thank you that you have cleansed me from all of my sin and from all of my unrighteousness. But Lord, I want you to put a new desperation in me so that I can come to you every day like that leper and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to fill me with your spirit. I need you to change my heart. And no matter how filthy and unclean I feel like on, on the outside, Lord Jesus, 
you are more contagious than leprosy. Jesus is contagious. We think about all the things in this world that are contagious, but Jesus, you are the most contagious thing in this world. And no longer as the people of God are we going to stand and hide behind things, but we're going to realize that when we step into the darkness, we spread greater than the darkness. We carry the light of God. And so, Jesus, we're asking you to put a fresh fire in our hearts this morning. Consume us. Cleanse us afresh. Lord, and give us new power, God, to live for you in the midst of this darkness, Lord Jesus. You are the most contagious thing in the universe. And, Lord, we want you to make us that too. So right now, I want you to just stand to your feet.